Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. Well, good. Well, friends, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 5. Um, and this is not the passage of Scripture that I'm going to be uh, speaking out of this morning, but it is a passage of Scripture that I want us to read here at the very beginning, just to kind of posture our hearts in the right direction as we're going after Jesus today. Amen? So this is, let me just read this. I want to start this out. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 44, and here's what it says. This is Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's keep going for for two more verses. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Let's stop right there. So much there, guys. I, last week I, I was speaking and I just started out the, the message sharing my concern for the church today. And it's, it's this, that the church is way, 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 way too angry. Just way too angry. This is why, literally, this is, this is on, like on my, my top 100 reasons why I got rid of Facebook and Instagram. So if you wished me a happy birthday yesterday and I didn't reply on my Facebook page, it's because I didn't know that you wished me, all right? So, oh, thank you. The, uh, yeah, I am a, I'm a 22 years old, just ripped, ripped. Man, three kids, it's great. But uh, yeah, but uh, I, I had to get rid of, of social media. For one of the reasons is, not only do you see a lot of nast on there that doesn't make me think about Jesus, but I can't stand anymore watching professing Christians being so angry. Just cannot do it. Um, and it's, it's just not good for my heart. So I'd rather, you know, I can do life without social. And uh, I know that is not the message the world is saying today. The world is saying today, like, everything's going online. But it's not. And there's things that God doesn't want us to do online. He wants us to do in his lap. There's things that God wants us to do face to face. But my my concern is, is that this very, like what the world is calling us to do, like go online, go online, is actually giving us a platform for anger. And then a platform to actually express our opinions when we should not. And so like we are picking up these American ideals that say you need to find your voice. But God in the kingdom is saying, close your mouth and find my heart. Like, like we're, we're acting like we, we should be speaking, but we barely even know the scriptures. And it's just, just the backwardness of what is going on in the church today. You know that the, the main call of God on your life today is not for you to find yourself, but for you to find Jesus and then become like him. You know, not, not doing what necessarily you were called to do, but first learning to be a servant like him. Do you know that in a family, if uh, anybody help, help cook, you know, with, uh, you know, anybody cook on, on Thanksgiving? Anybody? Yeah. So I, I, I did not, 
but um, they don't let me in the kitchen anymore with sharp objects. They do not do that. But there's, there's a thing that whenever the family gathers together, like whatever needs to be done, you do. And you don't have to be called to do it. You don't have to be gifted to do it. You don't have to be gifted at cutting carrots. You don't have to be gifted at putting tablecloths on tables. And if your mom asks you, hey, could you put all the chairs around that table? You say, that's not my calling in Jesus. That's, that's, not, that's how we operate in the church, and that's how we're being discipled. But that is not how it is in the kingdom. All right, so I'm very, very, did I say very concerned about the over-opinionatedness and the anger associated with these opinions towards one another. We're not angry at sickness and disease. We are angry at other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. It is absolutely, absolutely horrible. All right, and then services like this where we kind of hijack our plans to pray for people who have cancer, like people walk out and leave over that. They're like, this is, it is out of order. Guys, guys, man, this is so, it's it's like order is our new God. You know, as long as you talk like a Christian and have order, it's fine. But listen, man, if if the church is so safe that you actually know what's going to happen every single week, man, we we need to reinvent what church actually is. So here's my question this morning. Like, we read Matthew chapter 5, and we hear Jesus himself talking about how to live. Someone slaps you on the face, you don't cock your gun. You turn the other cheek. You know, someone asked for your, uh, for your tunic or someone asked for your coat. Say, that's a nice coat. Like, you give them the coat and your shirt, and, then, and you don't run to court demanding your rights. It's just, it's just like, this is how Jesus said. Like, we, we talk about our enemies and how we disagree with them, but do we ever pray for those who persecute us? Right? And then when we're persecuted, we act like it's for righteousness, righteousness sake, but it's honestly just because we're angry and mean. Okay? D- did I get there fast? Uh, did I? Uh... See, here's, here's a question for us. But just think about this as objectively as you can. But here's a question. In, in the eyes of people who don't know Jesus and in the church alike, what is the church actually known for? That's a question that I've got. When people think of Christians, do they go right to, oh, those are those people, like when I, when I persecuted them, they prayed for me. Oh, those are those people that when I used and abused them, they, they doubled the blessing on my life. They didn't demand their rights. They actually just loved on me. Is that what we are known for? So I don't think so. And now, it, what is the church known for? We have to answer that question. And then here's, here's the even more important one. Is that an accurate representation of God? Is what the church is known for actually an accurate representation of God? That's something to wrestle with. That's something to journal with, not for everybody to see. But just in your secret place, if you have one, get one. If you don't have one, go get one. If you have one, go there more. But just in the secret place, just you and Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we're not an accurate representation of your heart. Would you change us? 
And so what's going on here is, is not, it's not just our, our reputation in the world that is at stake, but it's actually if we are not living like this, we're in jeopardy of, now I'm taking a hard corner here and I'm going to try my best to show you how I got here, but we're actually in jeopardy of losing the gospel message altogether. Okay? Um, there's a, I, I think in, in a, you know, circles, Americanism, uh, Christianity in America, I really believe that we have lost the gospel for the most part. And we're trying to convert people to a certain type of, I'm just going to call it American moralism, instead of the gospel. Where as long as you like hunt and fish and uh, vote a certain way, you know, you're a Christian. <laughs> but if you're, you know, I don't know, Arabic, living in, in Saudi Arabia, naming Christ. I actually have, remember when, remember when uh, I forget, I'm forgetting his name right here, but he said this in a church service, he preached this, and man, it hit me so hard. We have more in common with Saudi Arabians that are Christians than we do with you know, our neighbors here in Hanover, Spring Grove, York County that don't know Jesus. Do you know that? But we're actually making uh, this American moralism that is, that here's, let me define this for a moment, and I will try to recover here because I can feel that many of you are slipping away and uh, loading your firearms as I speak. But, uh, but listen, here's what American moralism is, just, just a, a quick shot at it, is you respect God. You pr protect your rights. Family is everything. Be a good citizen. Okay? Respect for God. Protect your rights. Family is everything. Be a good citizen. And that is the framework that then we jam the gospel into. But that framework does not produce Jesus' followers. That framework is, does not actually come from the gospel of Jesus. And I think these are days where we have to decide, like, are we actually Christians or are we just Americans? This, is, this message is, is uh, when you ask somebody, what are we known for? All right? Usually the response, and I know this not because I'm guessing, but because I actually ask people who left the church or never want to be a part of the church or their dad was a pastor and they, they, they run as, do you know that pastor's kids need to be like the front lines of prayer ministry? Do you know that? Missionary's kids, do you, do you know how hard the enemy comes after these people? All right? Because they actually have to see from the front row the church acting crazy. All right? And so when you ask people, why did you run from the church? It's, it's astonishing to me that many people didn't want to run from Jesus. They just wanted to run from Christians. They just wanted to run from those who are the most judgmental they've ever encountered. The, the kind of people that talk about grace but don't actually operate in it. The kind of people, if you have a bad night and then you come to church, like you're, you're, like, you're just not embraced. Like you actually have to feel like you have to perform all the time. The kind of people that would shame you. The kind of people that would pull away rather than press in in your darkest moment. The people that operate in argumentative pride. All right, the, the people that operate in extreme arrogance, just, just really with all their heart believing that they're always right. And then worst of all, ju the, the justification of all of this as righteous. That's what people are running away from. So when you take a, think of what, what Christianity has become in America, and then, you, then you compare it next to Matthew 5. It's just, man, do you see why I'm concerned? I... I uh, 
we have some really good friends. Their names are the Greens. And Ray Green is a big, strong um, football coach kind of guy. He's from Alabama. He's got his Irish coat of arms tattooed across his back, all right? So if you go to the beach with him, he takes off his shirt. He's got a huge shield on his back, all right? A really, really awesome guy, and he's been such a good friend to me. And here's how you know when you have a friend is that when you need a back rub, that dude, he's, he's game, all right? And so I remember I was, I was at his house this summer, me and the family, and he had his daughters, he has three daughters, he laid his daughters across this bed, and he just began to crack their backs, all right? And it was just amazing. I wish we had like that on, you know, we recorded these sounds. Like he's a big, strong, bench presses 400 pounds kind of guy, and he's cracking these, <laughs> these little girls' backs. And then he says, Nathan, he goes, let me make your day. Let me crack your back. And I was like, oh, no, Ray, I don't want you to crack my back. You're not a, I, I was concerned for your daughters. I'm not going to partake in this. You're not a chiropractor. You're, you know, you're, you're from Alabama, man. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to subject myself to you and whatever. He goes, Nathan, it'll be the best day of your life. And I was like, okay. And I, so I lay down. I lay down on the bed and here's what he does. He starts, he starts pushing on my back and, and he starts, and, and it doesn't work. And so he pushes harder and harder and harder. And then he pushes and I can barely breathe. And he says, Nathan, he says, you are so tight. And so he goes, stay here for a moment. And he went and he got uh, this machine that has two handles on either side. And then he plugged it into the wall and he turned it up. And it was, it was, it was shaking my brains. You know, it was just like, put it on me. I was like, just like, ah. And then he tries to, oh man, I just shook my brains again. And then he, then he tries to crack me again. He goes, he goes, this won't even loosen you up. All right, now we've been singing this song, keep my heart tender, keep my heart pure. But what actually needs to happen in the church is not keep it pure but, and tender, but actually get it tender. Like, it's, it's, we, can't, we can't, if it is, then we keep it. But if it's not, we have, to, we have to invite the Holy Spirit to come loosen us up however he wants to. And because there's so much on this, when, when not even a, a brain-shaking machine will tenderize our hearts, when we've, when we've run so far in the wrong direction and we think we're right, and we're not repentant, and we don't cry anymore. And the people that do cry, we actually motive judge them. We doubt that Jesus had anything to do with it. This, the, the gospel doesn't go out like that. We're losing the gospel because of our hard, angry hearts and lives. So this morning, just for the next few minutes, man, we're, we're just about over time here. And maybe we just needed to pray against cancer, and then you just needed to hear what I just said. And we need to just go home and say, Holy Spirit, wreck my heart again. But for, like, for, for just a few more moments, I just, I want to talk about sharing Jesus for a moment. And I think that if we passed a mic around this room and we say, what is the gospel? I'm concerned that many of us don't know what the gospel actually is. I think many of us think that the gospel is Basically, how you get to heaven. And the, the gospel, and I, I say this almost every week, guys, but the gospel it has less to do with getting to heaven and more to do with getting Jesus. You see? So it is hard to live a life that shares the gospel. Your heart doesn't get set on fire by the Holy Spirit just because you got a golden ticket to heaven. Your heart gets set on fire by the Holy Spirit when you actually see Jesus and want him more than everything else and put gladly, sell all that you have to put your faith in him. 
Do you, do you know that when we're talking about sharing Jesus statistically, last year in America, we spent more money on Halloween costumes for our pets than reaching people who have never heard the name Jesus in the world. Do you know that? And this is what, this is what the church is doing, guys. This is so, listen, I want you to hear this real briefly. Here's the passage I'm going to speak out of just for a moment. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But I want you to hear this, that the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom, it reconciles us to God. God is the gospel. God is the goal. God is the treasure. God is our life. He's the way, but he's the truth, and he's the life. God is the one who fashioned us, and he didn't fashion us for heaven. He fashioned us for him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to this, starting with verse 16 and then going to verse 21. From now on, therefore, regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Listen to this, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is a massive passage, massive passage. But let me keep going. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You, uh, pause for a second. I'm not done, but pause. You want to know what your calling is? You're confused about your calling? You're sitting on the sidelines so long because for the past five years, no pastor at Providence or any church has been able to tell you what the calling of God is on your life? Listen to this. Every Christian is called to be an ambassador for Jesus. Just like, go out and tell people about Jesus and he'll show you. He's not going to show you from the grandstands. He only shows you from the field. That, that's your only option. All right. Anyway, uh, let me keep going. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. He could send angels, but he sent imperfect vessels, us being changed into his likeness. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now listen to verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm not sure if there is any other verse in the whole Bible that says it so succinctly as that. For our sake, he made, that's the father made him, that's the son, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, I'm telling you that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ reconciles us to him. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And here's how he was doing that, by not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, how is God not counting people's sins against them? Well, that is verse 21, by making Jesus sin for us and making us the righteousness of God. That's how. This is not by, listen, here's what I'm hearing too much. It's a false gospel, that everybody is a child of God, and we just need to recognize it. That's wrong. The, the, fir the first chapter, the first few verses of the Gospel of John says that, that light came into the world, but we love darkness more. But for whoever who would believe in him, he gave them, those who believe, the right to become children of God. Not every single person is a child of God. This is why we, we talk about being sons and daughters. At your salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, 
you get adopted into the family of God. You didn't just recognize that you always were. You actually were on the front porch at best. You were out in the streets. You were living by a garbage dump. And you hear that Jesus wants you as his son or daughter. And that not only does he want you, but he's paid the way. And you don't have to try. You just have to receive his love. And then, then you come in and then you become a son or a daughter. Everybody is not. That's the problem. This is the message. The message is not, you all just need to have a revelation. You all just need to be illumined to the reality that you already are. That's a false gospel. All right? We were in sin, and now we're in the kingdom. There was a time, anybody before Christ, sin. Sin is not bigger than Jesus. He paid for all of our sins. That's what the Bible is saying. And he wants to give you his righteousness, and he wants you to call you into real life, real living. And he wants to put his affections on you as sons and daughters. So the gospel reconciles us to God. It doesn't just get us to heaven. It, just, it doesn't help us to actually see who we already are. He, it helps us see who we were, and that is rejecting Jesus. And now we are under his mercy, under his mercy and under his grace and under his love through faith, we become sons and daughters. So listen, we don't just get a ticket to heaven and then, you know, here's, here's it's bad theology produces weird questions. Like, I know that I'm going to heaven, I just don't like living for Jesus. Does that work? <laughs> like, I've heard that so much, don't you? And yeah, well, I know I'm going to heaven, just not living for Jesus. Like, this is, that is, that is like, the, the gospel is you see Jesus as the treasure. You know, and so, like, you're not going to live in perfection. But it's not like you don't get a ticket to heaven, then decide later if you want to live for the man. That's, that's, not, that's not even how it works. All right? So, listen, so the gospel message reconciles us to God. So what I mean by this is that the gospel message is inviting us to reorient our lives to, to how God designed it originally in Genesis. He being the center of it all and us being in communion with him. So it means... It means he gets, he's the treasure again. He's the center of the universe again. He's the source of everything. He is our everything again. We trust what he says. We follow him where he goes. We walk and talk with him in the cool of the day. It's relationship with God again. And what this actually does is it makes us all missionaries. Did, have you guys heard of a guy? It was about 310 AD. His name is Eusebius. You ever heard of him? So we know our American history, right? We don't know our church history. Let me tell you about Eusebius. Eusebius, uh, he, he is famous for um, inventing what's called today as the secular sacred divide. And he basically said there's two classes of Christians. There's those who are called to full-time ministry, and then there's everybody else who gets to heaven by the skin of their teeth. All right? And so up until about 314 AD, the church was operating, whether you were a blacksmith or a carpenter or, you know, you, you were in the military or no matter how you, whatever your job was, you were a missionary because you were reconciled to God. And now you're an ambassador wherever you go. <laughs> That's how, that's how the church was just operating. It's, you didn't have to be an apostle to feel like you had a calling on your life. And here Eusebius comes along and says, no, like the apostles and the pastors and the priests, these people, they have a special calling on their life. Everybody else just serves to help them, the secular sacred divide. It's worked its way into a lot of areas of modern day society. 
But here the Bible says, verse 20, you're ambassadors for Christ if you're in Christ. Not based on your job. Everybody is called to be a missionary or an ambassador for Christ, representing Christ to the world. God is making his appeal through us. Do you know that the Father is appealing to the world? Do you know that the Father's heartbeat is come home? Do you know the Father's heartbeat is I want you? Do you know that? It's Christians that don't. But the Father, the Father has an appeal. And this is why we have to have our hearts be aflame. This is why we have to have our hearts be like his. Because God wants his heart to come out of our lives. And God is making his appeal uh, through us. And here's what the appeal of the Father is, if you keep reading. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to me. Of course I want you in heaven because I'm there, but more than just going to heaven and escaping hell, I want you. Now, if the, if the world sensed that from the church, you are wanted by God, wanted, wanted, Wanted by God. You're not an annoyance to me. You're not a distraction to me. You're wanted by God. And we actually felt the affections of God for people that annoy us, for people that we call our enemies. We actually see people not as our enemies, but people that are wanted by God. Orphaned. How can we see orphans with no compassion? These are, these are people that are orphans, but they could be sons. These are people that are orphans. They're looking through the window, but they could be partakers of glory. This is how we have to look at these people. And we, have to, we have to let the heartbeat of the Father well up in, in us so we are actually the expression of his affections to the world. This is what the church is called to do. No matter what your profession is, we're called to carry this. The heart of God spilling out of the church onto the world. The way that the gospel message, listen to this, spread the best historically is this though, under persecution. And I think that many of the things that we're angry at today are that, you know, we're being, that the church is being persecuted. So we're trying to set up, you know, rights to keep us from persecution. I don't know about you. I'll go down for Jesus today. Like this is, this is not like my, my, my main primary objective of my life is not to keep myself so safe that I, I don't need to give my life for him. When we sing, spill me out like Mary's oil, I mean that. Like, go ahead, make my day for real. This, is, this would be, it would be the chief joy of my life to actually give my whole life for Jesus. Like, you can't read Fox's Christian Martyrs of the World. And then, you know that DC Talk, the old, like, 90s band that was like, so, ah, you know, what will people think? And we all sing it, yeah, we know that. But they actually wrote books called Jesus Freaks. And Jesus Freaks were just modern-day Fox's Book of Christian Martyrs that tell the story of people that loved Jesus more than their own lives. And if we get, if we get Christians that have found their life in Jesus, they're not trying to protect their own lives with their rights. That is the kind of church that gets dangerous to darkness. You can't do two things. You can't serve God in money, but you can't protect yourself and waste yourself. And the church just needs to get back to loving Jesus so much, saying, Jesus, you know what? I'd love to have a beach house someday. Jesus, I'd love to upgrade and have a pond and a black lab. I got dreams, right? But those dreams I sacrificed at your feet. And I just said, use me however you want when you became my treasure. My dreams are not my treasure. Like, you are my treasure, and I'm trusting you as a good dad to take care of me. But it's whatever you say goes. So I have to go to jail, I'll go. 
If I have to lay whatever you want me to do, you want me to, yeah, it's the, the, do you know that, that so, the, the prayer movement today and the missions movement today is a result of the Moravians? I talk about the Moravians all the time. Do yourself a favor and find stuff on the Moravians or Google Count Zinzendorf and just have a time of it. And just learn about people who love Jesus so much that they were willing to dedicate their entire lives to him, expecting to give their lives when they sell themselves into slavery and go on the mission field. This is, this is where we've come from, but we've lost it today. Or how about Acts chapter 7 and 8? The first Christian martyr was Stephen. You read Acts 7 and 8, and, and you see a man who who's, he knows he's about to die, but he's, the gospel message is on his, it's on his lips He can't stop talking about Jesus. He's not trying to save his own skin. He has just been so consumed with this man that even to the people who are going to stone him to death, he takes the last oxygen he breathes to tell them about Jesus. He doesn't spare any words. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't care how big his church gets because of what he does or doesn't say. In fact, in in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked people. These are his last words. Uncircumcised and hardened ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Does Does that sound like American church today? We would rather have an arsenal than the filling of the Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did... Did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels did not keep it. And those are his last words before he gets hit in the head with about a hundred stones. And as this is happening, heavens, heavens open, and he doesn't see his mansion, he sees his treasure, Jesus. This, this is the kind of Christianity that I want. And I can't waste my life anymore trying to keep people that don't really care so much about Jesus happy. Like we've got to turn into the church that Jesus is it alone. He is all we want. You know that the opportunity to share Jesus became amplified due to persecution. What happened here as Stephen died for, the, for, the, for Jesus' sake, right? What happened here is a great persecution breaks out on the church. And do you know what that does to these people who, who had no clue who Eusebius was yet? These people were like, whether I'm a blacksmith or a coppersmith or no matter what kind of smith I am, I'm, as, as persecution is breaking out on the church, all these people that they made tents, they made, you know, shoes for horses, whatever they do, they're carpenters, they're doctors, whatever, they were spreading from Jerusalem and the gospel was going with them because they knew they were ambassadors for Christ. Persecution actually spread the gospel through the world. Think about it. Think about it. We didn't have people starting 501c3s to try to combat Rome. We just had people that knew Jesus spreading the gospel wherever they went. Man, that, to live like that. The, the disciples were on mission wherever they went. This is, this is life on mission. This is, there's no excuses. This, Jesus has captured my heart. Do you know this? If you go to a, a lot of people, let, let me start here. A lot of people say, oh, I just, I just don't know how to share Jesus. I just don't know how to share him. Well, do you know how to tell your friends about an awesome restaurant when you've experienced an awesome restaurant? 
You know, if you go to a great place, like, I don't know, like, just, just name something. Like, one of, have you ever been to, uh, what's, that, that's, what's that Brazilian steakhouse? What, Steve, what is that? Fogo, Fogo de Chao. You ever been there? It's all, you know, you pay an obscene amount of money, but they bring you more meat than you can, like, just, they just like, do you want this? Yes. Do you want this? Yeah. They bring you rolls that melt in your mouth. Like, they're just like, you're trying to, you're stuffing them in your pockets, right? You're eating like, what? How, how does this place exist? How do I never know about this place? And then, then you turn into a missionary for the place and you tell all your friends, we got to, you're, you're organizing groups to go to Fogo. You didn't have to take a class to learn how to tell them about a great restaurant. It's just you experienced the restaurant, touched by the restaurant, and turned into a missionary for the restaurant. So here's, here is what we have to do in the church to turn into missionaries, is we actually have to not just learn about Jesus, but experience the man, encounter the man, actually know this man, and then tell people about him. I, uh, man, I've got... I got, man, I got stuff to say, but I, I better wrap this up, all right? Let me tell you this, this last thing. My dog, Champ, who's a golden doodle, um, cute as they come. I was going to send a picture, but I didn't want you guys to like him, you know? Like, I just, like, he's like, one of these dogs, he barks weird, he's all this stuff, but he's cute as they come. Looks like a big teddy bear. And, uh, but he does this thing where when he goes outside, he comes to the back door that has a window and he barks and barks and barks and barks and barks. And then when you go to let him in, he doesn't come in. <laughs> and you're just like, man, this dog, like what? I don't know. Can I see his, like, his breeding history? Like this, is, this dog's not right. And so you go and you're like, no. And then, then you're screaming at this dog who's barking to come in, but you open the door and he just doesn't put two and two together, you know? And actually what I found out is he's not barking to come in. He's barking for me to come out, all right? He wants me to come out into the cold and then he'll drop this little red bone thing at my feet and he wants me to throw it. He just wants to play catch with his dad, right? <laughs> and so he wants me to come out, but I want him to come in. Who's the master of the house though? Yeah. That, was, that would be me, right? See? And so if I tell the dog to come in, he wants me to come out. We, we've, got, we've got what's called like opposition, different dreams. And I feel like, like, like this is what we do to God all the time. We say, this is what I want church to be. This is what I want you to do for me. This is how I want things to feel. This is what, how I want to live my life. And Jesus is opening the door as we're knocking, and he's like, no, no, I want you to come in to my house. We're like, no, I want you to come into mine. And there's this thing going on. And what happens, though, is, is we've actually created beliefs that say, you know, that, you know, that you know, outside the house is where it's at from the front porch, in the backyard. And we've created a Christianity that is outside the house. This morning, Jesus is saying, die to yourself and come in my house and trust me with your life. See that I'm a better treasure, a better lover than every small lover you've ever tried. And he'll prove himself that he's better than it all. So I just wonder just right now in this moment, how many of us, we don't have to have keyboards here. We just like, just the quietness with you and Jesus. How many of you this morning would just tell Jesus that Jesus, I actually want to come in your house. I want to start there. I'm sorry for just constantly wanting you to do things my way. 
And I want to love you more than life. I want, to, I want to know and taste and experience the affections of the Father on my life. And I want to see that your love is better than life. I want to see, I want to taste and see the goodness of God, that you are better for me than any earthly lie. I want you, and I want you, and I want you because you first wanted me and you first loved me. God, I, I pray that you turn us into missionaries today. I pray that you turn us into people that have actually encountered Jesus and embraced Jesus and that have been so changed, so wrecked, so royally transformed by the Holy Spirit that wherever we go, we're missionaries for Jesus. And I pray that you do this in your kindness. God, I, I pray against um, the lies of the enemy that would try to make your voice sound like one of shame. That is just the enemy. You're not shaming us in. You're welcoming us in, God. And I just pray, God, that you would begin to just get us with your kindness and get us with your love, but call us in the house and change us so we are an accurate representation of Jesus to the world. God, I just pray that. Transform us. Transform our neighborhoods because of the representation that we are of Jesus to the world. Transform our cities and our regions, and our lives. God, we bless you. And thank you that we have this great opportunity in history to love Jesus more than life. Thank you that the, the name of Jesus can still move stones, that the name of Jesus can still break down walls, that the name of Jesus is still more powerful than every other name. So capture our hearts with your name, Jesus. We bless you, and we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 